0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Holistic Health Hour with me, professional holistic life strategies coach, Aleka Thorvalson. This unique and inspiring show allows us to look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health, our wellness, and happiness. From a Mind, Body, Spirit, and Soul Perspective, and it is my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, about our relationships, and our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. Yes, and welcome to part two of our relationship series, where we are going to go even deeper into the subject of relationships. Part one is archived, so if you missed it, you can certainly go back and take a listen. And in part one, I began the series by looking at codependency and counterdependency, which are two coping strategies typically beginning in our formative years in childhood in response to specific kinds of dysfunction that we may come across. And then these coping strategies become habits that we take into our adult lives. And I defined what codependency and counterdependency mean, how these strategies are adopted in our lives, and just how they can lock us into old patterns of recreating our past, which keeps us from claiming real um, interdependence, autonomy, and intimacy, which is really what we all want, right? So. If you miss the shows, feel free to go back and take a listen. You can go to my Body spirit you at blog talk radio and all of the shows are archived. You can also go to my website, AlekaSky.com, under the media and resources page, and I have all my shows um, linked so you can go listen to part one. Um, and I also have to thank you for the great feedback I got on part one. Thank you. Wow. Um, first of all, thank you for the stories. I, you all have some amazing stories out there, and I am ever amazed at the courage, strength, and resiliency that is so evident in what you, you've shared. Um, and I did get quite a bit of feedback. I, I got some stories and some people that have shared their experience with um, codependency and, and how it was created in their own life. And then I got a lot of emails about did you do that show for me? Like, cause you said exactly what I'm experiencing. And, um, <laughs> it was funny how many of those happened. And to be honest, no, I didn't. Um, I, I really, I obviously, um, have studied this extensively because I've lived it myself as well as professionally looked into what these, these coping strategies and, um, and forces look like in our lives. So, I, I just want you to know that if, if you are experiencing this in your life, that you are not alone. We, we all can really find a sense of um, similarity in these patterns. So if you would ever like to reach me to share questions, feedback, comments, or show ideas, you can also find me at alekasky.com and mindbodyspiritu. that's the letter U, Um, If you'd like to work personally with me, you can reach me there as well. I I am certainly honored to have clients and listeners from all over the world. Technology really makes the world pretty small these days, doesn't it? It blows my mind. Um, You can also find me on Facebook under Aloha Healing Arts and Google Plus and Twitter. And soon I will be on Instagram. I'll let you all know when I do. (laughs) I'm still figuring out all this social media. Um, Yes, so feel free to to share your experience. I I do love that. If you're listening to this show um, live on Blog Talk Radio as it streams, then just know that it's a recorded show, so I won't be taking any callers this evening. Um, Hopefully I'll be able to do a live show soon, but I'm really enjoying this whole Blog Talk format, doing podcasts, because I'm I'm able to um, get a lot of content in and, and just get it up. Which, is, which just seems to be really helpful from, from what I've heard, the feedback I've gotten. So cool, right? This is part two. We did part one. This is part two of the series. And we are going to look a little bit more at what a healthy interdependent relationship might look like because that's what we're all wanting. Um, to do that, though, I'm going to go a little bit deeper with codependency and counterdependency and how those two patterns really show up in our relationships and how they can keep us from connecting. Because I think to know, you know, we to know what we need to do differently, we have to know what we are doing in the first place. So we can illuminate what isn't working so we can become more clear about what does work. And, you know, I, I do have to say this too. Um, codependency and counterdependency are certainly not the only forces at play that block intimacy or muddy connection. But I think, in my opinion, they are the most common. So that's why we're focusing on these two um, on these two coping strategies that they because they're just so common. It, it seems like, you know, and as I said in the first show, I think we're all a bit co or counterdependent. And this really affects our relationships. So we gotta look at it, right, if we're gonna talk about relationships. As I said in the first show, um, and I reiterate it again and I'm gonna reiterate now, um, we gotta know what we're doing and why we are doing what we're doing. Um, because we gotta know what's keeping us stuck so we can directly address it and then shift it or change it, right? Quick Review on co and counter dependency. Um, these are unhealthy coping strategies developed in early life as a way to attempt connection and thus acceptance and a sense of safety. In in another way of saying that is, it's the ways that we attempted and still attempt to feel loved. It's the way that we hustle for connection. Additionally. I did go into this as well. Codependency has its roots in a deep feeling of personal unworthiness. That's important, right? We have this feeling of unworthiness, so we create these behaviors or beliefs or strategies to overcome this core belief of unworthiness, and we do this by striving for external validation. So this... You know, this, this is where the lines of addiction and codependency can begin to merge a bit and the dance sort of ensues. Because really codependency can become an addiction in and of itself to people, to behaviors, to things, to this external need to validate an inner sense of unworthiness. And, you know, before we move forward, I think it's really important that we remind ourselves that we've adopted these strategies because on some level they've quote unquote worked. On some level they've given us a sense of control or safety. Um, But the problem now is that they're blocking us from real connection that we so badly desire. You know, it's this sense of we want connection but we're terrified of it. And that's something I'm gonna talk about a little bit later in the show. So b- before we kind of move into the deeper aspects of the show, can we just take a moment and just, you know, be compassionate that we did what we did because it worked and now it doesn't, right? So so remembering to to, to channel that compassion as you find yourself in the words that I'm saying tonight. you You may see some of the patterns that you do maybe for the first time. You know, and so remembering this, this self-acceptance and compassion is so important um, as we move through to a place of change. Okay, so tonight we're really going to focus on some of the specific ways that co-encounter dependency shows up in our lives and our relationships. I did mention some in the last show, but I want to get a little bit more specific tonight to sort of real world it. You know, like, okay, this is the pattern, but how does it show up in the real world? Like, what does that really look like? So the, the first kind of classic behavior that shows up is this people-pleasing, caretaking, martyr behavior. And I mentioned this in the last show, but I want to go a little deeper in this. Um, how does this show up? Well, Number one, we've probably learned as a survival strategy that we have to take care of other people. So we probably had to be responsible for our caregivers in some way. And so this becomes part of our habit and part of our identity. Now, if we couple that with this ingrained sense of unworthiness that I mentioned earlier, then that, these, you know, that dysfunctional pattern of focusing on others and taking care of them is sort of provides us with our own sense of worthiness on how well we do it, right? So we, we, how, how good we are, right, in our sense of worth comes from how well we take care of other people because that's our habit and that's our identity. So we can really strive to be the best at caretaking. So what happens? We may find that we have difficult times being alone We might go from relationship to relationship. Um, We might feel very responsible for other people, other people's feelings, other people's thoughts, other people's actions or choices, other people's needs, and overall well-being, right? So we might be very fixated on others. Um, We might feel anxious when someone else has an upset or a negative feeling. And, and because of that, they're, they're, you know, they're not okay. Then we go into rescue mode. So you might find yourself fixing other people, suggesting right, how they need to shift, or giving advice. And then what happens often is we feel angry if it doesn't seem to, quote, unquote, work. Right? So if you're one of those people that's able to say they need to change and they need to do that and they should be doing that and you're always quick to give advice, you know, stop for a minute and ask yourself what that's about because it could be that you're, you're you know, externally focused in such a way that you're um, overcompensating for an inner sense of disconnect. So this looks like focusing on other people's needs, yet feeling very disconnected from our own needs, and then resentful that no one takes care of us. That's a huge one in in co-encounter dependency, this sense of, I take care of everybody else, and then feeling very resentful that, quote, unquote, nobody takes care of us. So we, we feel either resentful, maybe used, or victimized. And the, the thing about this is, and I might go into this later in the show, um, is that, you know, we actually want this connection, but we're, we're also afraid of it at the same time. So we're resentful that no one takes care of us, but then we don't know how to receive even if they try to give it to us or ask for what we need. So it's this, this habit of staying safe that's, that's keeping us very disconnected from other people. And as I talk about the behaviors tonight, I, you, they're gonna overlap because they, they do. They sort of all, you know, one leads to the other, leads to the other, sort of like these energetic threads that, that um, work together to create this system of behaviors. So if I repeat myself tonight, just understand that you know, maybe you, you'll hear it in just a little bit of a different way that it will make more sense to, to the way that it lurks in your own life. So, you know, going back to this this disconnect from ourself, what can show up as well is our personal identity is restricted, so there there could be a lack of feeling fulfilled, a lack of feeling purposeful in life um, you know at at the core, we have this sense of unworthiness, so we we number one don't feel like um we're worthy enough to check in on ourselves, right? And the second thing is, if we were so busy taking care of other people that we probably didn't get asked, hey, what is it that you want to do or what is it that you need, right? So we don't honestly know how to do this. And we, we don't maybe know how to take care of ourselves in that really compassionate, worthiness kind of way. I I think we're really good at surviving. We tend to to have that down pat. But when it comes to thriving is where the disconnect happens. So maybe we never got the skills or the confidence or the time to actually self-reference. So we are codependent as long as we are focusing on the other person and their problems sort of falling into this illusion that if they change, right? If we could change our external environment enough, if we could change them enough, or if we can change enough, right? If somehow we are good enough, then everything will be okay. So, what happens when our sense of identity is is restricted is a few different things that we're going to talk about here, but one thing that can happen is that we It sets the stage for staying in relationships much longer that is healthy or allowing types of dysfunction that may have felt normal or familiar but isn't healthy. You know, relationships are hard enough when they end. Relationships are tough. I mean, endings are tough, no doubt. But if there's a codependent flavor, they they can be almost impossible to let go of because in a way we're asked, to let go of our own worth, right? This external sense of validation. Um, It's it's very difficult to let go of things if we feel that they define us in some way. The other thing is because of this, right, we, we need this external validation so much that we get very afraid of rejection and that we will edit or hustle, we need to do whatever needs to be done to avoid rejection. So because of this, it, it can set up whole other um, other things like denial or, or putting relationships on a pedestal, right? And we, I'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like later. But this, this sense of rejection keeps us stuck in situations that probably aren't healthy, but they feel familiar. And because it's difficult to be alone, we might choose to stay. Right? So this is really, really important. And what can also show up in this is that um, if we have this external focus on you defining me kind of thing on the relationship, then you complete me, which means if you're happy, I'm happy. But if there's something wrong, it's also your fault. Right? We define our sense of self through another then we give our power of identity away. We also give away our sense of accountability. So when we do this, another thing that can really show up is confusion, right? Of course, because lack of personal identity can create confusion about our needs, desires, dreams, passions, and what is right or wrong for us. We can feel very disconnected from this part of us, this sort of inner compass that I've talked about before we, this, this inner knowing that gives us directions you know and decisions of of that define who we are so in a way, we can feel very rudderless and cut off from this this sense of purpose or inspiration. We can create um, situations in our lives where we feel bored or stuck. So if you find yourself bored, you know, or saying, gosh, I'm so bored, or I feel so stuck, or I feel so disconnected, or I feel so purposeless, check in if you're not disconnected from this part of yourself because you're so busy tuning in to others or what it might have or what you're supposed to do or what you're supposed to look like. So it can also show up with this confusion, right, and and being disconnected from this part of us is that we might have a very difficult time saying no or yes, and this is partly because we are ungrounded in ourselves, and maybe, honestly, we don't know because we're not practiced at accessing it, and partly because disappointing others is not an option, right, because we would risk rejection there. So... We, we we kind of say yes or no depending on what other people think we should say or what we should say. So this can create a sense of real personal, conf- a sense of confusion and, and not knowing how to answer directly, um, make decisions. Have If you have a difficult time making decisions, this might be a part of what's going on for you. Do you... Sit with it and get worried about what other people are going to think or what you should do over what you really feel like doing, what you know. Another thing that shows up, and this is more related to um, the sense of deep unworthiness that shows up with codependency and counterdependency, is a sense of perfectionistic um, striving or perfectionism. And what this looks like is perhaps if we could somehow be perfect enough, air quotes there, then we would feel enough. You know, and and perfection and control go hand in hand, and so do codependency and control. We talked about this in the last show, right? And control equates with safety. That's important to recognize. So maybe if we can, you know, be the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect husband, You know, have the perfect spouse, have the perfect children, have the perfect life, whatever that looks like, right? Then maybe we will feel safe. We will be in control. We will feel like life is predictable. We will feel enough. So what does this look like? Well, we might enable others as a way of fulfilling our perfect role, um, and what that would look like is if we are going to be the perfect caretaker, right, then we need to have someone to take care of because what happens when they get well? Well, we lose our role, and that, that's, you know, that's difficult. That takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes us in, out of what we're familiar with and what we've known as a way to get our esteem. So we might, you know, enable other people as a way of fulfilling our perfect role. We also might get very stuck in ritual or expectation about how things should be, usually having very high expectations. Most, most likely on ourselves and also on other people or situations on how they should work out. And we can get very, very disappointed or anxious um, or overreactive when they don't work out the way we think they should work out. Right, so this is this is important to recognize the other thing that can happen is that anytime we get perfectionism showing up that we are focusing externally to try to find the sense of perfect, it can create the facade um, and fantasy that all is well. look at, we're perfect right? Everything is is plastic and beautiful and perfect on the outside. so. Denial, right? Because we have to deny what is if we're doing that. Because no one's perfect. That's that's the crazy thing about it, right? We all um we strive for this sense of perfection and we all wanna get to that place. And what's so interesting is that place doesn't exist anywhere outside. There is no perfect land. You know, like draw a map, you're at the perfect place, or you need to go A B C D E F G down the street. You found it. It's it's not there. Right? It's what's so ironic about perfection is the moment that we can just be where we are and have self-compassion and accountability for who we are, then there's a sense of perfection that's that that shows up. So letting go of the need for perfection allows us to be to find it. You know, it's what's so interesting about that. But to keep this facade going, that perfection actually exists as a way to make us feel safe or not feel unworthy, we have to deny what is, right? So denial can show up in this as well. So we can ignore some pretty evidently clear um, dysfunctional patterns showing up around us as a way to keep perfectionistic fantasy going, So our investment in this dream or fantasy makes us put up with much more than we would if we were seeing it clearly. And this denial or or way of sort of creating a facade certainly could have been a coping strategy growing up. That makes sense. But it keeps us stuck in the same dysfunctional patterns as adults. You know, if we're, we're trying to find that perfect relationship and be that perfect person, then we are we are seriously denying huge parts of what's actually showing up. Because the truth is, relationships are messy and they were far from imperfect. Because we are. And the moment we can say, okay, this is where I am and it's okay and I'm going to learn from it and there's accountability here, we actually reach the perfection that we've sought all along. Further... Um, Going further with the concept of control and perfection, um, we see rigid extremes of black or white thinking. Good, bad, right, wrong, right? Which creates separation and judgment in relationships. The the concept of I'm right, you're wrong, it doesn't work in relationships because healthy relationships are not um, black and white. They're very gray. We might have learned this strategy because growing up, judgment was a part of our reality. And the only way to feel good about me might have been because I have to look down on someone else, partly because we were probably judged like that in some way. Or we were um, punished for being wrong and, and, you know, rewarded for being right, whatever that means in in the, the system you grew up with. So being right, now we want to look at this. Being right is the way that we feel in control, and being in control is the way we feel safe, right? So being right, or it also equates with being accepted. So if we were right, we were accepted. So we might find ourselves always trying to be right now. In other words, we're trying to be safe. We're trying to be accepted. We're trying to find connection. We're trying to make up for that deep sense of unworthiness we feel, and i see this a lot in co-encounter dependent relationships so how attached are you to being right you know that that's a great question to ask yourself how often are, do you allow other people to be right so what what happens because being right equates to being safe or being accepted we, we cannot be wrong, right, because that would really show how unworthy we feel. This, remember that, that part of unworthiness that we're trying not to look at. So we have to be right. We, we compensate in this way by being right all the time. And, you know, if I'm right, then you are wrong. And then we get into this right-wrong, lash-out, defend thing that shows up, which is just wasted airspace, to be honest, in relationships. I mean, we can argue about the right or the wrongness of it. Um, I'm wrong, you're right. And, And somewhere we're going to have to compromise and find the place that is the truth for both of us, which typically means everybody's right because you see it through your perspective, they see it from their perspective, and both of them could be right from their perspective. Does that mean that there isn't accountability? in this, this, this—we're not talking necessarily values here, um, although those do, those do come into the to the into the picture. But if you find yourself needing to be right a lot of the time and defending yourself and um, creating arguments about the rightness of something, this is a way that we can disconnect and create separation in our relationships. And it creates a huge amount of blame and denial of healthy accountability that is necessary for healthy relationships. We make mistakes all the time in relationships. That's part of the learning. And and many people with co-encounter dependency often feel like they are being controlled, which is interesting. And I guess in a sense that's true, but we are being controlled by ourselves and our patterns and conditioning, not by other people. Being right is a way of needing to be in control. Right? So what can show up is that we might have a long list of issues with other people. You know, we know what they have done, and we sort of have a tally system in our mind about they hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me. This is what's wrong with them. They should fix that. Um, But we don't have as much real accountability or information or even desire to focus on what we are the common denominator in all of those situations so what is our learning about that where do we need to improve so i want to also point out that another way this black or white thinking can show up is if we fall into being habitually wrong so just as much as we can be habitually right we can also fall into that space um, of being wrong. I, I find often that I go back and forth. I'm right, right? I have to be right. Um, but if when I'm losing an argument or there's no way that I'm going to be able to be right, then I'm just going to be wrong. And I'm always wrong. See, I, I never get it right. Do you see yourself there? Right? Either way, black or white thinking. Um, is a way to regain a sense of control. It's to try to regain a sense of control and safety and feeling worthy. Healing is seeing that there is gray, and that's okay. It's going back to that space of self-compassion and self-acceptance about where we are. It's about owning the fact that we feel unworthy and not trying to compensate for it. It's also about letting go of needing to be right and thinking that we know the best solutions for other people so it's really about focusing on ourselves now this disconnect that I described earlier from ourselves this external control that we're looking this for this fearing rejection um, can really show and and a sense of deep unworthiness can really set the stage for unhealthy boundaries, which is quite likely at the core of much of this behavior. Now, if you grew up in a dysfunctional household, you've experienced unhealthy and confusing boundaries. In fact, they probably felt familiar to you in some way because you grew up in that situation. True intimacy with healthy boundaries requires that we allow ourselves to consciously allow emotions to, to, to self-resource what we need and want and to be assertive in choosing appropriate action. A healthy relationship, um, uh, you know, intimacy with healthy boundaries is where we can assertively ask for what we need and then be open to receiving it. What shows up, though, when we have unhealthy or shady boundaries is that we try to get our needs met in other ways. So we use manipulation or passive-aggressive behavior or even aggressive behavior to attempt to get our needs met, which is, is, is trying to get our needs met um, and an outcome that we want without actually having to be assertive and ask for it. Right? So that's what passive aggressive aggressive manipulation tactics show up. You know, and I have to say that most co and counter dependents tend to be pretty passive aggressive. Aggression usually shows up, but towards the end, when passive aggressive isn't working, then a downright aggression shows up. And the reason being is because now they're both they have the same intent. I mean Aggression is, you know, demanding, authoritarian, um, trying to get their expectations basically forced, right? And then passive-aggressive is the exact same thing. It just looks pretty. So it's like aggression tied in a bow. Um, So this is going to be rolling our eyes, Um, blame, bribery, guilt, threatening, silent treatment, passive-aggressive, victim mentality, this is all pretty passive-aggressive behavior. Sarcasm can be a, a, a form of passive-aggressive behavior. Again, this is always to, to get our, our, what we need, right? Because we need something to happen because we're externally trying to control our environment, so we need to have this thing happen the way we want it to. So without boundaries and assertive, um, without boundaries and assertion, manipulation becomes the tool for safety. So weak boundaries allows, um, you know, creates this this lack of assertion. So in a healthy, strong relationship with ourselves and in relationship with others, we allow ourselves to be assertive. But that means we have to be self-referenced. We have to know what we feel to be able to assert that. So do you see how this is all sort of building on one another? Another thing that shows up with weak boundaries is something I mentioned earlier, which is we allow others to cross our boundaries. Number one, because we don't know what they are, we don't know what our needs are, we don't know what we require or what we value because we're busy focusing on other people. So we we can have zero boundaries, right? Um, Or in the case of counter-dependency, we are completely shut down. So we could be wide open, um, and attuned to our external environment, and you know we're living basically through others, or we just shut down completely, um, and we are totally walled off. Um, dysfunctional boundaries or unhealthy boundaries can we can say no when we mean yes and yes when we mean no. So not only you know is it difficult for us to be in in relationships because we, we don't necessarily know what we want or what we don't want, it really adds to that sense of confusion that I mentioned earlier, right, and, and create um, issues of separation rather than intimacy. The other thing that can show up with weak boundaries is a sense of deceit or denial, another thing that I mentioned earlier, um, either with other people and also with ourselves. Values are, are a way that we define who we are and having boundaries that define who we are is part of being authentic so when we have sort of weak boundaries we may use deceit as a way to get our needs met right another passive aggressive um, way of controlling our external environment yeah so are you, you tracking this within yourself like asking yourself do you say no when you mean yes and yes when you mean no how does that show up in your life? How do you use boundaries as a way to define who you are? Can you be assertive or does being assertive scare you? What are the ways in your life that you're passive aggressive? And what are you hoping to achieve with that? Other ways, other, other, other things, behaviors that show up. Okay, exhaustion, <laughs> right? Are we tired yet? Um, goodness. When our self-worth is dependent on this external illusion, we put lots of energy into keeping it real. Plus, it's really tiring. It's exhausting to keep up the facade and to consciously track and anticipate the needs of other people first. And as I mentioned earlier, often codependent and counterdependent people feel like they give and they give and they give, and then they feel a lot of resentment because they do not get anything back. And they might even fall into this sort of victim stance where the story is, there's nobody there for me, nobody hears me, there's no one to give to me. Yet my question is, could we accept it even if someone did give it back? Because there's the rub, right? There's, there's that sticky spot. Giving all the time is safe. To really receive is to be vulnerable which is something that the codependency and the counterdependency are actually trying not to achieve. Codependency and counterdependency are ways to not be vulnerable, right? And giving or receiving, I should say, receiving also means that we are worthy of receiving it, something that is also lacking in co- and counterdependency, So how can this exhaustion show up? Well, it can definitely show up as resentment. So if you find yourself being resentful that no one's there for you or there's a story about that, take a look, because that is part of the accountability that you need to look at. How good are you at receiving? And what does that even look like? Can you ask for what you need and then know that you're worthy of it? Yeah, that's tough. What else can show up with this? Um, I've seen a lot of physical manifestations of this one. Illnesses, depression, um, feelings of adrenal fatigue, cortisol um, depletion, this can all really show up. Not feeling energized, not feeling connected. So physically co-encounter dependencies can really affect us and actually create illness. Now, I will also say that part of the victim stance of getting what we need can show up as illness because if we can't ask for what we need, then often we'll get sick as a way someone will have to give it to us, but when we don't have to vulnerably ask for it. So track that in yourself. You know, how do you, and I'm, I'm not meaning that, you know, when we, we look at that, that seems so manipulative. And it is. But at the core of that, it's I just want to feel loved. I just want to be connected. I'm afraid. I don't know how. I don't have the tools to ask for it. But this is where accountability shows up, being accountable with ourselves. Now, I mentioned before that these strategies keep us stuck in the past, and they absolutely do. But how? right? How does that look? Um, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, our intent is to heal. I, I, I believe that. I think that we subconsciously can repeat old patterns to try and get it right, right, to try to work it out. So how does this look? Well, maybe if my dad never accepted me, But maybe if I can get this guy to accept me, I might finally heal this emptiness I feel or this pain I feel about that. So on some level, we recreate the situations that we're trying to finally earn the acceptance, love, and connection um, that we did not get from perhaps our caregivers at the time. And maybe if we could get this acceptance, love, and connection – then we could finally prove that we are worthy. So what can show up is that if we felt steamrolled by your parent in some way and had no choices, then we may pick a mate with the same tendencies and with the unconscious hope that we will finally be able to assert ourselves, which is the whole intent, by the way. We pick these, these, these things, as I said earlier, these people, these situations, as a way to recreate the same experience so we can actually do it in a evolved way, right? But what happens is we, we typically are unconscious when we're, when we're going through these patterns, and so we respond the same way we responded before, and then nothing gets shifted. So if you do see these patterns in your life, understand that they are an opportunity for change. That's why they're showing up. Um, if you had an addict for a parent, you may replay that with, with someone with the hope that you can finally fix them. And the, the truth is you can't fix them, but you can fix you in the situation, right? You can actually set those boundaries, be assertive in a way that you weren't able to in the past, which is, is very healing. But we have to do it with conscious intention because otherwise that we just continually repeat old, old habits. So if we are afraid of being abandoned, then we often get together with someone who is afraid of being smothered. If we feel safe taking care of others, then we attract people who need to be taken care of. And that is why it is so common that we pick mates like our parents. And then we wonder why our relationships aren't working Right. So if you have a problem with your relationship or if there's a pattern showing up, maybe it's your 7, 10, 15-year-old self picking your mates. And it's not a good idea to, to unconsciously let our wounds attract our mates. We have to use it for the healing purpose that it has, which is to show us just where our work is. So another way these, these patterns can keep us stuck is, um, is really our habitual conditioning and, and patterns, meaning we are literally reacting um, or not reacting, um, and then we reenact our past in the present moment. So rather than being present to what is and then responding from that place of presence, um, we re- reenact. And, you know, part of co- encounter counter-dependency is this hypersensitivity to feeling attacked at the slightest look of criticism or disapproval or upset. And we can't be present, you know, to the present moment if our old emotional defenses are being triggered. And, and the word grievance, right, grievance or pain has its roots in old wounding, about not being fully loved, and then it has frustration about not being able to do anything about it. So it's embedded within us this survival mechanism, sort of like this inner century that wants to keep us safe, and and it does that by tracking what's happened to us and making sure to never let it happen again. So if an old, you know, if a, if a partner triggers an old unhealed wound or scar tissue, you know, from the past, we get triggered, and then we might go straight into alarm or attack and reenact old patterns of defense. I, I remember that. For me, I, I, it happens. Um, it shows up with abandonment because I have such a trigger there that if I even slightly think that someone is going to um, leave in fact, I, I, I always have one foot out the door. I, I have to, like, really consciously work on being present to the moment. But what will happen is I go straight into um, counter dependency, where I will just go into, fine, I don't need you, and um, go ahead then, just leave. And the other person's like, what are you talking about? I'm just going out of town for work. I, I'm not leaving you. Right? But we can easily get triggered yeah, I mean I, and in that moment, you can, if you can track yourself, how, ask yourself, how old do you feel? Right? What I see in my office all the time is his 15 year old is talking to his 13 or her 13 year old, right? It's like that's what happens when, when we get into arguments. Have you ever noticed that we act like kids when we're in this place, in relationships? Um, it's, it's really interesting. So to track yourself when you're triggered and you're reenacting old patterns. So part of working through to create a healthy relationship is recognizing this and using conflict as a tool to to heal, to kind of show us and then to heal those wounded parts of ourselves rather than just defending or reacting to this part of ourselves. So... You know, in many ways, co-encounter dependency can stunt our growth and emotional maturity by being unable to develop a healthy sense of autonomy. And when triggered, these patterns can take us right back to the past. And then we wonder why the same thing keeps happening. So if we really want to heal these, these patterns in our life, we really have to look deeper at the wounds that we have and become conscious of them so that we do not reenact them. It's sort of like that old AA um, quote that if we don't work on our stuff, our stuff works on us. And it's true. What's left in the shadow shows up in our life as fate. Right, that's a young quote. So conflict, and we're gonna be talking about this a bit, but conflict is a way to really show us just where we need to work. I mentioned before that denial is often present in co-encounter and dependency and that's true. Um lying was was seen as probably a normal pattern in childhood, either to ourselves or others, um as a as a way to keep the facade up. And and because of that trust usually is very damaged. Right? When we when we go through dysfunctional patterns of addiction or abuse or um or, or um, shame. These are all ways that damage trust. So what can often show up is that we deny, right, that we're worthy of abundance or joy. And we, we, because we would rather do that than trust that we are, right? Remember this deep sense of unworthiness? Often we cannot accept that life can be peaceful, and that we are worthy of love and belonging. And so what can show up is that we sabotage our life right back into a way that feels normal, right? Feels normal by creating some semblance of chaos or denying um, or denying its existence. That's important. So this whole concept of expanding this field of abundance and needing to do as much work on our joy as we do on our pain really shows up with co-encounter dependency because trust is so damaged. Another thing that can show up is um, obsession, worry, or anxiety. Um, I mentioned being kind of hypervigilant before, and it's true. Um, in this in this pattern, we see our danger sensitivity buttons seem to be on like high and constant alert. We are constantly tracking our external environment, reading people, you know, anticipating the next shitstorm to hit, which you know, anticipating the next shoe dropping, and this can give rise to focusing on what might happen rather than being um, in what actually is happening, being in the present moment. So if you find yourself, you know, worrying or anxious or are or, or constantly tracking um, what's going to happen, understand that this is part of co-encounter dependency. The other thing that can show up is that co-encounter dependency can really disconnect us from our own feelings. It can either turn them off um, or we can feel overwhelmed by them. You know, it, it's likely that if you, you have these these strategies in your life, like I do, um, that experiences in your past demanded that you turn off your feelings in some way, that you had to go numb. Perhaps what happened was too much to feel at the time. Um, Perhaps we didn't have the necessary support we needed to feel it. Perhaps we were so busy surviving we literally had no time to feel Perhaps we were so plugged into managing and taking care of others that we lost touch with our own feelings. And there's an old saying in, in, in um, co-encounter dependency that if they have a, um, if the codependent or the person outside of you, so if they have a splinter, the codependent's finger hurts, your finger hurts, right? Someone else's pain, we feel it. So we can get very plugged into other people's feelings, often having their feelings for them or trying to manage their other person's feelings in some way. I mentioned this earlier, but we can actually get very uncomfortable, even anxious or panicky, when other people have feelings around us, negative feelings in particular. And then we fall into patterns of trying to fix them or fix the situation so their feelings go away. Instead of letting people have their feelings, which is healthy and necessary. So we may kind of micromanage feelings. We also may be overwhelmed by feelings because we are feeling everyone else's feelings and we don't know which is ours and which is theirs. And it can cause some physical sensations as well as exhaustion and just feeling psychologically um, unclear and confused about where they end and we begin. The other thing that can show up, and this shows up a lot in counter-dependency, is that we may have no patience for feelings because we don't know what to do with them. And to the extent that we can hold the space for someone else's feelings is really to the extent that we can hold the space for our own. So because we're disconnected from this source, um, part of ourselves that we just stay grounded in logic and get very um, irritated when other people have feelings around us, especially intense ones. Depression shows up a lot in this as well. And depression is um, that 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 sensation within us that tells us we're very disconnected from our feeling senses. So what can show up is our feeling senses can be very flawed and confused and exhausting. Um, So listen, I did a show on feelings and I think that would be helpful um, if you find yourself here because to really understand how to kind of, you know, kick that part back on and get back in touch with that part of ourselves. Okay, last thing I'm going to mention here, codependents can become addicts themselves. Um, That's true. And they can uh, we've already de- determined that right codependency or counterdependency in and of itself can become an addiction, but it they actually can you know become real addicts, so substances things work, um, people, sex that really shows up um, and that, that sexuality piece, I didn't mention too much, but maybe I should, you know, that that really goes with having healthy boundaries, also being connected to what you value and what you don't value. Um, often people in relationships that have co- and codependency issues can, use, can get confused about the, the sense of how to consciously and proactively and in an empowered way connect with their sexuality. So it can be used as a, as a weapon, as a, as a tool for connection, as a passive-aggressive tactic in some way to create safety. Um, without boundaries, we can, um, we can allow things that don't feel right to us. So that's important. That's all kind of connected into it. And maybe I'll do a whole show on um, sexuality at some point, but just wanted to add that. But addicts themselves, sex, sex addiction can certainly show up. Um, relationship addiction, you know, another thing that can show up that's a little different than, than sex addiction. Um, another thing I, I really want to mention that I see a lot in this is food addiction because co-encounter dependency really is focused on not hurting other people. So they tend to pick the addictions that don't, quote, unquote, hurt others. Plus, we have this sense of disconnect and unworthiness within us, right? Um, so we feel empty, and what we crave is nurturing and love. And food is often symbolic for these things. So we, we may we tend may tend to food addiction. I see this pattern a lot. So if you find yourself in any of this, please just know you're not alone. These are just a few examples of how these patterns show up in our lives and relationships. There are many more. There are so many books and resources out there that go into even more detail about this, and I really encourage you to seek them out. Um, you know, if you find yourself in in what I've said today, you are part of a huge tribe. I, we, are right there with you. You did what you did, and you learned what you learned because on some level it worked. Um, It was probably necessary for your safety and survival in some way. You may not have had any other choices. Um, But the fact is, if, if those old patterns are still sort of in motion, it's not working anymore. And it's actually blocking you or keeping you from the connection that you really want. With others, you know, it's blocking you from connection with others, yes. But most importantly, it's blocking you from connecting to you to yourself, and that's what we want to look at. So hopefully, as we've named our behavior, that you see it, that you've got some awareness on this force with, within you, and, and now we have to ask the question, how do we move from a place of codependency or counterdependency to a healthy place? What does that look like? The word that we're going for here is called interdependence, and this is a space of healthy connection where there is a strong sense of autonomy between two people, right? But it's not based on need. Interdependence is mutual dependence between things. There's a balance. There's a reliance, sure. There's a quality of desire and meaning between people, but there is a healthy Autonomous dependence where we are not tracking our sense of safety, worth, will, esteem through another first. Where we can become habitually self-referenced rather than externally referenced. And where we have a balance between taking other people's needs into account and our own needs as well. Perhaps first. This is a place that we can be assertive and accountable and authentic and real and connected. It's where we actually fill that space of unworthiness with a sense of real worth. And that's where we're going. So the next shows are going to be about that. I've taken this time to sort of look at where we've been, some of the habits that are set in place but now we need to look at how we move forward. So we're going to answer some questions in the next show about what are the deeper um, meanings of relationship, right? What about the concept of soulmates? What about the gift of conflict? That's why you need to listen to part three because we're going to start getting into that. Um, so part three, we will continue this journey of relationships. I hope I've given you a pretty wide framework about what these sort of dysfunctional patterns that show up in our lives can look like. So maybe you can find yourself and see just what needs to shift. As always, um, you can find me, AlekaSky.com, Blog Talk Radio, um, Mind, Body, Spirit, You on Facebook. Give me your feedback. Give me your questions. Give me your experience. What do you think? How is this working for you? Okay? I'd love to hear. So I hope to get Part 3 up soon. And um, if there's anything you'd like for me to share in the third part or answer a specific question, I hope I answered all the questions that I had from the last Part 1 tonight. I think I did. Um, Feel free to get in touch. And until the next time, take care.